Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, another episode coming at you at warp speed. I'm your host, Nate Larkin, and joining me from the left coast, the co-host with the most, I don't know, I'm tired of rhyming stuff and it just sounds cheesy anyway, <laughs> but uh, Aaron Porter. Hey, how you doing, brother? Doing well. Doing well. Good. Moving towards summer. Jeez. I, I noticed this morning that I was sweating a little bit on my morning walk, which is not something I've done in a while. <laughs> well, good. I can, uh, did you enjoy it? I, I did. The, I don't know what the follow-up question to. I found myself sweating a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It was it was warm and humid enough uh, that I was actually perspiring while walking with my friend and having an honest conversation this morning. You know, I'm trying to pick up the pace a little bit on the morning walk. I'm trying to condition myself for that big walk that's coming up with my daughter just five weeks from Saturday. Five uh, weeks from Saturday. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I took her out yesterday uh, to buy her new hiking shoes for her birthday. It's her birthday today. And uh, yeah, preparing for that. But I, I am a, a bit concerned I hope I will, I'm up to the rigors of, uh, you know, all day hiking for several days in the row with uh, elevation changes along the coast of Ireland. I hope I can do it. How, how big are those elevation changes? I don't picture it being like mountainous. Yeah, I picked a route that is relatively gentle. So, yeah, it's not like, uh, you know, I'm, we're scrabbling up by several thousand feet in a day. But there'll be gentle rises and gentle falls and enough to, to tax a, a man in his 60s. <laughs> well, luckily, this is your thing. So if you get tired, you can just stop and then hitchhike. <laughs> it's, it's, you're not being graded here. Yeah, this is good. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you're, you are looking. I can see you. Our guests, uh, our, our listeners on the audio podcast can't see you, but I can see you. And you're looking just a little bit bleary-eyed. You're sounding just a little bit tired, as though you may have had a, a taxing day yesterday, did you? Oh, no. I, I had a, the opportunity to play at a Mary Chapin Carpenter tribute last night. Uh, so it was a late night. And I got to learn a lot about a, a musician that I really knew nothing about. Uh, but yeah, it's been a long weekend. There was a big Cinco de Mayo festival at a place called the Pozo Saloon, the classic. Like okay. You took me to the Pozo, uh, didn't you? Is that the one yeah. that's out in the country? Yeah, way out in the middle of nowhere that has the huge stage in the back that, yeah. that Willie Nelson one- loves to go to and Snoop Dogg loves to go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a strange place. But they just got new owners and reopened, and so it was a big Cinco de Mayo deal on Saturday. Yeah, and you played with multiple bands, didn't you? Multiple or how did that bands? work? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I did end up in kind of a, a backup band for a number of artists. Uh, the most fun, which I mentioned to you earlier, or uh, fun. It didn't feel fun at first. There's a, a really great artist, uh, Louis Ortega, who had played with the uh, Tex- Texas Tornadoes, and I think that was the band they won a Grammy with. But just a really great um, but it was kind of last minute that I found out, oh, I'm going to play accordion <laughs> with him. And when I used to, when I worked in a cabinet shop, uh, we would listen to Mexican radio stations uh, uh-huh. for the enjoyment of some of the employees there. And so I was very aware that Mexican accordion is a specific thing, uh, has a sound, a way to be played, and I had no idea how to do that. So... <laughs> You know, you still, uh, did you learn to play uh, like Baptist accordion? Uh, my, my first accordion. Polish accordion? What I, did got, you play? I got my first accordion in high school. Uh-huh. Swap meet. My grandma got it for me. And it would only work, the, the black keys would only work when you sucked out. When yeah. you uh-huh. threw air because yeah. it was broken somehow with those reeds. So my first accordion, you had to plan when you were going to hit those black keys because <laughs> if you were going in and had nowhere to go out, you were screwed. Yeah. Uh, I started playing with rock bands and punk bands because okay. accordion fits with any music. <laughs> it's, the be- it's the most versatile, cool <laughs> instrument. I've led worship with accordions. 
it's just it, people have such an um papa like german uh-huh. polka uh-huh. Thing that it's not that at all it doesn't have to be so usually when i'm asked to play it it's with americana bands and those types of things right. But this was a totally different experience, and uh, it was just, it was a blast. It was actually much easier to do than I thought. So once mm-hmm. we got going, I'm like, okay, this I don't have to be stressed about this. But just, just so much fun, and the caliber of musicians that were there that day, you know, it's it's amazing to be with a group of people that are all focused on a leader and just watching every little thing and letting the dynamics flow. It's just a, it's an adventure. Yeah. You're on the edge of your seat. I don't know what the audience is feeling, but uh-huh. every musician is like, we don't know what's happening next. Just focus and go. Yeah. So much fun. It's just great. Wow. So yeah, I'm still in recovery from a long weekend. <laughs> Isn't that wild? You know, uh, Allie and I were privileged to hear some accordion music just a few days ago. I took her shopping out at the Opry Mills Mall, and as she was trying on her 87th pair of uh, pants, I wandered uh, uh, down the corridor a little bit and saw a big sign for the uh, Bavarian Brew House, Brow House, Uh Beer House, right? Uh So uh, what used to be, uh, I think, something called the Apple Barn has been converted into a, a, a fake beer garden with a little oompa band up there, a tuba, a, a, tuba, a guy on a little uh, uh, drum set, and an accordion player. Awesome. And I, I love when those kinds of bands cover like Nirvana or all those <laughs> types. It's great. It's so amazing. At one point... The tuba player pulled out an alpenhorn. You know what those are? That oh, yeah. really, really, really long horn? Yeah, I'm trying to imagine how it fit in a small I, I, beard. It was by request, which only would happen in Nashville. He did Amazing Grace on the alpenhorn. Wow. Yeah, That's yeah. Been really cool. I'm trying it to was. picture how that be kind of haunting. Yeah. But yeah. Well, that's that's great. See, accordion revival. <laughs> that sounds like the name of a band. <laughs> there you go. Uh, now yeah. appearing, Aaron <laughs> Porter and accordion revival. <laughs> when I worked at First Baptist, because I would occasionally lead worship from the accordion, you know that set me up for every Christmas, birthday, every gift I was ever given was attached to an an accordion ornament another accordion (laughs) bumper sticker playing accordion go to jail yes i've heard all this (laughs) how do you know the stage is crooked the drool is coming out of the other side of the accordion player's mouth all that (laughs) oh wow so uh, i hear we've got some letters we get to go through this morning i'm excited yeah i yeah it's time i think to go 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 through go through the mailbag uh, let me see. Okay, here's one. Uh, hey, guys, I'm still working on what I'd really like to say to all of you, how you've helped change my life, my marriage, my authenticity before God and others. But that's another email. I have a need to make sure I sound cool. In the meantime, I'm curious if the Pirate Monk logo is copyrighted and whether I could make some T-shirts for my group. No profit, of course. Anyway, thanks for your sacrifice of time, blessing all of us as we learn to trade amusement for amazement from a fellow pirate monk and brother in Christ, Daryl. Well, Daryl, the answer is use that logo. Uh, I'll send you a, I'll send you a copy of it, uh, and uh, feel free to use it uh, for profit if you want to. If you can, if you can actually find people willing to pay for a, a Samson Society pirate monk T-shirt, yeah, more power to you. Thing. You are now opening all kinds of weird doors. <laughs> just, just use the logo, make some shirts, have fun. <laughs> Freely or for profit, brother. That's what we say. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not what you say. In the charter, it says it, stuff can't be for profit. No, no, it doesn't. Freely or for profit, brother. But you cannot prohibit others from copying your work. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Have fun. Uh, let me see. Here's another one. Uh, Hey, guys, this is from uh, Jonathan. Thank you for ministry. I've been listening to you for about two years now. Can't tell you how many times I've finished a podcast and run to Jesus in response. 
Your insight and experience into the true gospel of grace inspires me and gives me courage. Well, after attending our local Samson meeting for about a year, I finally built up the gumption to ask a fellow wanderer to walk the path with me and become my Silas. Sometime into the relationship, I finally had that time of confession. I laid it all out before him, and he didn't respond with a hammer of judgment. It was very freeing and healing. And healing has occurred over the past few years, and I feel closer to God than ever. But something has been bothering me as I've walked the path. Number six. A little background. My wife knew of my struggle with pornography since she caught me about a year into our marriage, but I convinced her it was no problem and that I had it under control. What I didn't tell her was that I'd visited strip clubs and massage parlors before and during our marriage, along with the porn and masturbation. Fast forward to our 10th year of marriage. She still thinks that I'm a knight in shining armor and the problems in our marriage are mostly her fault. In the meantime, guilt and shame are ravaging my heart as I'm making healing progress, but doing it without her. I want her to join me in my journey and fight alongside me. But I can't tell her all the progress I'm making because then I might have to destroy the version of me that she thinks she's married. It's been horrible. Today, while listening to another podcast called Undone Redone, I couldn't fight the Holy Spirit's urging anymore. I knew I had to fully disclose everything to my wife. So I packed up my tools and got in my truck, fought Satan for 30 minutes to make it to my wife. I cried and prayed the whole ride. And guess what? Jesus showed up, gave me the strength and the courage I needed. I surprised her by meeting her at her Christian counselor's office. And in front of them both, I laid it all out into the light. Holy shit, what did I do? Did I just bury my marriage? Now I'm scared but hopeful. She's mad at me, and rightfully so. I know from listening to you that I need to give her space and time. I don't know if reconciliation will happen, but I know that God wants me here. The version of me that I created died today. I want to celebrate, but I can't seem to pop the cork Has something new and wonderful started today? I think so, but it feels like hell. Please pray for God's continued healing in my life and now my wife's. Questions. How can I keep from becoming the victim in all of this and keep from being a selfish prick while I wait for her to start reconciliation or move on? What does life after this death look like? And do you guys have any other grace-centered resources to supplement your ministry, such as podcasts like Undone, Redone, and ministries like Key Life? Thanks again, Jonathan. Wow. Well, well written, well read, and what a, what a powerful uh, step he has taken. That's yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, and I'm, I'm optimistic for him uh, because he didn't make this – uh, disclosure uh, out of the blue with a promise to change. Mm. Uh, this disclosure has come while he's partway into the journey. I'm sure his wife has already seen some transformation. And I hope that that transformation will give her enough ground to uh, eventually uh, find, the f- find the grace and the faith to believe that uh, they can actually build their marriage, rebuild it on a new foundation. My, my first thought was, I was trying to think of when I uploaded the David Hampton interview last week, because, man, that entire podcast speaks to this question, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, you can hear so clearly the miracles happening, mm-hmm. and yet the hard after the miracle stuff is now in play. Yeah, yeah. So the celebration and desire to celebrate this is, wow, you've just taken the step that you've been resisting taking for so long, and there's so much freedom in that. Um, But then you've got the question, the two questions. One was how not to be a prick, and what was the first one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, shoot. I've got to go back to the, I've got to go back to the mail. I've already. You've moved on. 
Well, anyways, uh, a lot of those questions are answered in the last podcast by David so well, and I think he's a great... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does life after this death look like? Yeah. Right. I mean, number one, I I think don't even try to answer that question mm-hmm. because life will happen. It's going to unfold, and the more you try to figure that out ahead of time, you're then going to be a slave to your own presuppositions as to where it's supposed to go. Oh, that brother is good advice. That's that's a hard one insight right there. It sounds to me as though maybe you've made that mistake. <laughs> uh, man, once you start, uh, once I started going on the journey of realizing how many presuppositions I had, uh, mm-hmm. I realized how much I was trying to control the next steps and the outcomes. Right, and that was just man, so unhelpful. Yeah. So it is a day by day journey. There's going to be days where your wife reacts in ways that gives you great hope. And there's going to be days where she reacts like she wants nothing to do with you, perhaps. And each one of those days has to unfold so that you can make it down the path and then look back and go, oh, this is what life now looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just try to let go of that control and relax. And as far as some tips on how not to be a prick, Nate, insight? (laughs) Well, yeah. You know, for me, uh, I I often go back to the 12-step paradigm because that's uh, where God, uh, where I first encountered recovery and where I got sober was in a 12-step group. Uh, and in the 12 and 12, the, one of the two uh, textbooks of 12-step recovery in the, in the book called 12 Steps and uh, 12 Traditions, in chapter 7, uh, which is about the seventh step, uh, Bill W. makes the state, statement that humility really underlies all the steps. That really, recovery is all about learning humility. It's finding our place. And that means owning our own shit. That means not uh, going to grandiosity, not uh, once again doing our best to make the universe revolve around us, but being content to uh, to just be, you know, part of what's going on. So uh, it's when uh, I give pride a foothold again, which I'm very prone to do, by the way, that I become a prick. Uh, pride and uh, you and prickness is that a word? I think it's prickiosity, but uh, okay, you know uh, yeah, 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 kind of, kind, kind of go hand in hand. And uh, so, so it's all about uh, it's all about humility, man. And I remember my sponsor assigning me to read chapter seven, which starts by the way on page 70 and goes to page 77 every day, which I did for months at a time. Uh, which which I, I found to be an an effective antidote toward pride. And remember, prick is an acronym. Which oh, is it? Stands oh. for pride, uh, reinforcing <laughs> and infusing condemnation. So we're going to have an okay version of prick because it can be spelled either way. Uh, okay. <laughs> just you know, remember, it's only going to bring condemnation to yourself and a sense of condemnation to them. Uh, and this goes also to your victim question on how not to, uh, you know, do the victim role. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Just thinking about it right now. So often in in my life, I've thought that the antidote to being a feeling like a victim is to focus on like how I've been a prick. Like okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I deserve better from this person, but look what I've done. And I think that is such a non-gospel way to deal with our victim excuses. Mm-hmm. Because basically we're, we're saying the answer to not feel like a victim is to listen to the accuser's condemnation. Yeah, 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 yeah. For myself, I think when I, and I love the victim excuse. Man, I love the victim excuse. Sure. And the I deserve better phrase. I just need to relax in those moments and say, okay, this feels bad legitimately. I I do want this person 
to respond to me differently and they are hurting me and it hurts. But I just, I need to be patient right now. Again, mm-hmm. the humility needs to come in. Yeah. Um, but I, I really need to not deny that whatever I'm feeling I'm a victim of probably is because there's some legitimate hurt that I'm yeah. experiencing. Yeah. So to acknowledge that and then to be patient and really pray for God to be with me in that so that I can get to the next step where we're going to grow. Yeah. But not to react against the person that I'm feeling is victimizing me, not to be passive aggressive, not to try to manipulate or control them to change, but to really spend time with my daddy and know that he, he knows my pain clearly and is loving me and holding me in it. Yeah. All right. Well, wonderful. Here's another letter with, uh, on a related thing, on a similar theme. Dear Samson Brothers, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your devotion to the Samson Ministry. Your podcasts are great tools in my daily renewal. After meeting you guys at Bear Trap Ranch a couple of years ago, I feel even more connected to the podcast, like listening in on a conversation held by close friends. Nice. I've been in recovery for almost four years now, and it has been a life-changing experience that's really opened my eyes to the world around me. My wife now knows all about my addiction and the telltale signs of when I've been struggling. There's been a lot of anger, hurt, and sorrow around the exposure. But by God's grace, we've stayed married and are both committed to rebuilding our marriage. Since starting recovery, I've made it a habit to confess to my wife whenever I have a relapse. Although I think she appreciates the transparency It always brings several weeks to several months of sorrow after each confession. I'm beginning to rethink this strategy because I don't think that her grieving period will ever diminish in length or intensity after every confession. To say that trauma is created through impact or repetition. Oh, they say that trauma is created through impact or repetition. And I honestly think that I'm doing more harm than good by confessing every single relapse. I have a Silas who I talk to almost every day and a network of other accountability partners that I can be an open book to. Nate often says that he doesn't inundate Allie with every single detail of his struggles, but will answer direct questions when asked. I wonder if that's a better strategy for us. Knowing that the wife knows everything, that both partners are committed to the husband's recovery, and that the husband is committed to working on it daily. What advice would you have on keeping the wife appraised of the level and depth of a husband's sexual impurity as it pertains to pornography and masturbation? How would a conversation be broached? Blessings and many thanks. I'll let you kick this one off. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I I love seeing this letter because I actually got a phone call from this guy this week. He used the call the available pirate monk feature on the Samson Society app, Uh, hit the the APM, and my name came up, and uh, he hit the number, and my phone rang. So I got to talk with this brother about it. Um, And here's what I told him, that really – you know, Allie and I have this arrangement that she prefers, and and her preference is that uh, she not be put into the role of the sex police. Um, she doesn't want to be whipsawed back and forth. She doesn't want her frame of mind governed by my state of sobriety, how tempted I am, how long it's been since a relapse, any of that stuff. So she feels quite secure and prefers that I stay in very close contact with my brothers, that I quickly confess any slip to them, uh, as long as she is free to ask me at any time how I'm doing when she feels like she needs an answer, and she will get uh, an honest answer to a direct question. That's what works for her and works for us. Um. That arrangement, uh, first of all, may not have always worked for Allie. It could well be that uh, 
here's what I see. I do see some wives who kind of over time as they become comfortable with this process and begin to trust recovery and and trust the, the men that their husband is traveling with, they learn to just kind of release him to his brothers and they step out of that circle. Uh, but in the front end, they just have a lot of questions and need to know. Right. What I told this brother is he needs, it's what, he, the arrangement that he has now, whether it's implicit or explicit, the understanding that he has with his wife right now is that he will confess to her every slip. Right. I think it would be helpful for both of them if they renegotiate that arrangement. But um, they had that. That's something they have to do together. Right. She has to agree to a renegotiation. Otherwise, um, his if he were to confess just to his Silas and to his brothers and find his feet again that way and not tell her, and she finds out later. That's a betrayal. Yeah, it's a betrayal. Uh, this is, I, I've been working with a couple in the last few months on this exact issue. Uh, and, and the wife is definitely more in that spot where she feels she needs the information. Yeah. As many spouses after an affair, you know, they want the details. And right. Counselors will say that might not be helpful. Um, and my, my problem is not with a couple being so secure that they can have these conversations, mm-hmm. um, but that there is a learning curve because the husband is thinking of all of this as a man does and would. The wife is hearing all of it. If, if she hasn't dealt with lust issues, porn issues, masturbation issues, she really does not have a context other than you're a pervert who's betraying our relationship. Right. Yeah. And so there is a learning curve that has to happen for uh, a spouse to be able to receive that without it destroying them. The fact that she goes into this grieving process to me says she doesn't really get it. Yeah. 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 Uh, But, but she can. And so even within the renegotiation, what I would love for this couple is for, her to be able to grow to a place where they can have talks about it, not even specific confessions, not doing it the way they're doing it now, but that they can talk about it in a way that does not uh, break her heart and damage her soul. Yeah. But I, I don't know, you know, what that would look like. I mean, it's different. You have to have somebody else in the mix. This yeah. husband certainly can't be the one to say, I need you to get a little more educated so you don't get as pissed off when I look at porn. Like, that's yeah, not yeah. work. No, 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 no. But she obviously, she feels it as a betrayal. She feels as though it's about her. She doesn't yet understand that it's not about her at all. Uh, Brother. And uh, I would say that that is more often the case than not among Christian wives. Absolutely it is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wish that, I knew that sending somebody to a Christian counselor or something was going to be the answer, but you never know with different counselors uh, what they know about this or how to walk a wife through this. Yeah. 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 Um, But, but there really has to be a third party involved. Yeah. So that can be a step that, okay, let's go together. We know this person can kind of articulate the feelings uh, of when I've confessed, I want us to be able to process, like, why does it make you feel that way and how can I help? Maybe that can be a part of the renegotiation is going to three or four counseling meetings and mm-hmm. he tries to really understand what she's going through and get to express, you know, some some th- insights that the counselor can be the third party credibility for. I don't know. That's that's just what hits me with this. Yeah, brother, we got to be praying about this and, and uh and maybe we have uh, a responsibility to enter this conversation, uh, not with this particular couple, but because it is such a universal conversation. Yeah. I, I think there does need to be a bit of a trail guide to navigate this for couples that when they hit that moment, 
here you go. Here's some, here's some ways you can go to understand this better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, there, there's some aspiration for future episodes of the Pirate Monk podcast. Uh, here's one. Uh, hey guys, I was at the Bear Trap Ranch retreat when David Hampton, uh, this was after, uh, this is just came in after the last episode of the podcast with David Hampton. I was at the Bear Trap Ranch retreat where David Hampton, Aaron, Nate, and the rest of the Pirate Monk broadcast team showed up. It was a really great time. I so appreciated being there in the beauty of Colorado. Uh, guys, I have an ongoing problem trying to stay present with the fact of how much I've hurt my wife. And how that plays out many times is that I'll look at the number of months it's really been, two and a half years of almost of sobriety. I think, come on, don't I deserve some care? I do have my own feelings. Does our relation have, relationship have to completely revolve around my spouse and her feelings? I've gotten really tired of not being cared about and discounted. I know it's a broad question, and I do have counseling that I go to, but I just thought I would get your take on it. I've been listening casts since 2016. I consider you guys my friends. I love the way you guys relate to each other and joke around and ask challenging questions. You guys definitely are a lifeline to me, a recovering brother from Houston. Oh, beautiful. Uh, yeah, boy, again, it, it makes, it, it, there is a, there is a time limit, Nate. Let's, let's be real about this. Yeah. There's a point at which we say, it seems that, <laughs> sorry, there, there's a terrifyingly big spider walking on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to stay present as well, uh, because I believe if it bites me, I will get special powers. Uh, there is a time limit where if a spouse is still feeling as hurt and angry, then something has stalled in yeah. their own process. Yeah, now, that's obviously, he can't judge that because he's the one that created it. Um, I feel like the quick answer would be they need to go to some counseling mm -hmm. because she needs to unpack whatever it is in a way that helps move forward. And I, I do affirm you brother. It, that is a hard place to not feel like you count in a relationship to not be having your needs met uh, because you are still a person that is in this relationship, but, your wife is obviously just carrying something really hard for her yeah. to still be feeling that after two and a half years. Yeah. And I, you know, I, Allie and I talk about this sometimes trying to reconstruct the early years of recovery in our own memory. I wish that we had documented it better. Uh, I was journaling, but I was tearing out my entry every day and wadding it up and throwing it away in the, in the, uh, interests of authenticity and confidentiality. So I can't go back and look at journals. I do know that I slept in a closet for the first couple of years. Um, I do know that it was. Uh, for, for different reasons than you sleep in closets now. <laughs> <laughs> and then I eventually came out of the closet. Yes. Uh, I know that two and a half years seems like a terribly long time. Uh, but when Allie got really the news, the cataclysmic news of my betrayal, we'd been married 20 years. So two and a half years was a little better than 10% of that time. I would say it was at around the two year, two and a half year mark that um, marked healing, you know, in our relationship really began to show itself. I think it was it was at that mark, two and a half, three years in, when Allie finally said to me across the kitchen table one morning, I trust you. The words I never thought I'd hear again. But she was also pretty engaged in her own She process. was, so exactly. That's, that's a huge piece that if yeah. a wife is just like, I'm going to just wait for this to get better and it's not getting better. And obviously I don't know the situation. Yeah. There's gotta be a process for, her. right. And, and for this man, you, I also have to wonder like, okay, 
are you doing things that you don't even realize are triggering this? Again, mm-hmm. if you sit down with somebody, a counselor, that she can say like, well, it's because blank, and you might just be blown away by, oh my gosh, why didn't you tell me that two years ago? I would have stopped like, mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. this worse. Yeah. But that's where the, the conversation has to be in a safe spot where she can really say the things that she needs to say and understand whatever work, because that's what a good counselor is going to do is say, okay, well, here's your work to the wife yeah. and husband. Here's how you need to be helping to support this, or here's what your work is. So I just, it breaks my heart. If, if you guys haven't done that, that you would be in this kind of isolated place of pain and not seeing any progress. Yeah. All right, Aaron, we're about out of time, but I've got one last letter here, a very quick letter uh, that I think certainly merits reading. Hey, guys, my one request is that Aaron starts talking like a pirate more. (laughs) Or when he closes out the episode, he does it like Nate. So this person clearly doesn't know that's me that does the arg at the end. Yeah, yeah. What in the world? I'm getting credit. Credit. Oh, unbelievable. (laughs) 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 All right. So it is Aaron who does the great pirate arg. But but I do want to know what talking like a pirate. I I need to say matey more often to Nate. By the way, do you know that one of the language options on on, uh, Facebook is pirate? You can, <laughs> no. What does no. that even mean? Like it translates all? Yeah. yeah, you can change the language option on your Facebook page to pirate. <laughs> and it will do, it's, 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 it's fun. It's fun for a couple of days and then it gets obnoxious. But how, yeah. how bored are we as a society that these <laughs> things even exist? <laughs> hey, uh, we've got a guest coming up. Uh, suggested by a loyal listener. And uh, uh, this is going to be a good conversation. We'll be back in just a few moments. Ye shall stick around until (laughs) the next segment Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Our guest today was uh, suggested by a loyal listener, uh, Samson Pioneer down in Austin, Texas, Mike Hardcastle. Uh, and Mike said, boy, there is somebody you guys need to know, need to meet. Uh, he uh, He's part of a group that has been uh, at least as instrumental in my life as Samson has. It's a group called Influencers. And so he put us in touch with Brian Craig. Hi, Brian. Hey, Nate. How are you doing? Good, good. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let me see. You're somewhere in the middle of the country. Where are you? I am in Bentonville, Arkansas. Just happens to be our global office uh, here, but we got locations all over the country. Wow. Global office. That sounds so impressive. That's great, yeah. I think I'm sitting in our global office, Aaron, or is yours? Uh, <laughs> is it? It's my shed or, or your office. I think it should be my shed because okay. that just feels more piratey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Aaron is in the global office of yeah. of the of the Samson Society. Uh, so, uh, so no, no, I'm curious that that definitely pricked up my ears as well. So the influencers are a global organization. You got to give me the background here on how that happened. Well, you know, I I say that a little bit to impress you, but uh, not trying to. But uh, <laughs> It works. But, uh, it works. but it's, all, it's all about vision, right? And we have a vision to go make disciples of all nations, and, you know, because that's what Jesus told us to do. And, uh, you know, uh, you'll, as you get to know us a little bit, we're not about strategizing. Even though it's a bunch of corporate guys, we're not about strategizing and figuring out how we can get there. We just go where God is inviting us, and, and act, he's actually invited us to the nation. So, so we actually have journey groups that are meeting in Egypt. We have journey groups meeting in Cameroon, Africa. 
there's activity in Costa Rica. Uh, so again, we're really focused on the U.S., business guys in the U.S., but every time we think we have the model figured out, God keeps expanding it, you know, so wow. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Now, it doesn't surprise me that you've got a bunch of corporate guys uh, involved because you, after all, are uh, really at the epicenter of what may be the biggest corporation in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, now, these are a lot of Walmart guys, if I can ask it, uh, at the center of this thing? You know, uh, not exactly. Uh, the guy that started it is a guy named Rocky Fleming, and he was a business guy, and he ended up in this area uh, to help service. Uh, it was kind of a Walmart uh, financial uh, company mm-hmm. that they had started, and so he was in the insurance business. Okay. So a lot of his clients were related to Walmart or servicing Walmart. Everyone around here has something to do with Walmart. Or there's also Tyson Foods, which is a huge right. corporation in the area, and uh, J.B. Hunt as well, incidentally. Holy but, smokes. Uh, but, you know, it, uh, it, his idea was that he wanted to service the people that he had influence with, which happened to be business guys, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and not trying to start a church initiative, but just trying to go make disciples of men where they are. Yeah, and most men spend more time in the marketplace than they do anywhere else. So, uh, so our meetings generally are in conference rooms, uh, in corporations, uh, in private business businesses, just all different places. It's in the church as well, but it started in the marketplace. So I'm sure this developed. It didn't crystallize for a while. So when did it become the influencers, and how would you describe that? Because now our listeners are like, there's something to do with corporations. There's there's conference rooms. <laughs> what is it? Well, what it is, is uh, Rocky was on a quest to figure out, uh, he figured out, he knew discipleship was important because Jesus said, go make disciples, but he wasn't exactly sure how to do that. And he tried a lot of different processes and programs, but what he found with those is that when the program ended, the disciplines ended. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of frustrated and God gave him John 15, where Jesus, right before he died, told his disciples, you need to abide in me. And he said the word abide like, 12 plus times in that John 15 passage. And so he, he started to, <laughs> to realize this must be the secret. How do you abide in Christ? And, and he figured that was the way to become a disciple. So he asked six guys in 2001 to go on a journey. He called it a journey to figure out how to have an intimate abiding relationship with Christ. And, uh, and he was just, it was a very honest, pure search that he had in his own heart. He wasn't trying to birth a ministry. He wasn't trying to write a curriculum. He was just on his own search and he asked six guys to go with him on the journey and they met every other week. And as a process, as a result of that, God downloaded this process that we now call the journey. So it's got a full curriculum now. Uh, and, and we've been replicating that process because it helped those men so much over the last 12 years now, 15 years now. So, uh, and I was a guy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who was a business owner, uh, had been touched by promise keepers, been touched by a lot of different men's things, led men's ministry at my church and in my city. And, but I came to realize the missing link was discipleship and, but I didn't know how to do it. So I was looking really hard to figure out how to do this. And God set it up for, you know, as, as God always does uh, to meet Rocky. I was two hours away from where Rocky is, but I got invited, not even by Rocky, by some other guy uh, to come to a meeting. And I drove uh, two hours over and there was a group of guys about to start a journey group and Rocky happened to be there and he found out about my uh, influence in Tulsa and he said, well, why don't you start one in Tulsa? So in 2006, we started one in Tulsa with, uh, again, me on my own search and I invited 13 other guys with me. There was actually two of us who guided it. And uh, now, whatever, 12 years later, there's over 3,000 men in Tulsa have gone through it now. Wow. So, so, so it's a process that helps a man or a woman or a couple learn how to have an intimate abiding relationship with Christ. And now that then they have a tool in their toolbox to go help other people find the same thing they have found. I think it's really interesting that you're, you're talking about, you know, these first, these businessmen and quoting from John 15, where it says, if you abide in me, then he will bear fruit where so many ministries start with, we want to bear fruit. Whereas in this passage, the whole thing is fruit, fruit happens. Fruit's a byproduct. You don't try for fruit. And that seems so, you know, when I think of guys like you, I think driven, strategy, it's all like that. And John 15 is the opposite of that attitude. So tell me how that has influenced what this is about. 
Yeah, if you knew Rocky, you think I'm driven, wait till you meet Rocky. Um, he was an a All-American athlete back in the 60s. He played football at Ole Miss and baseball, played two sports. Uh, had a run at the NFL there, but uh, but had some injuries that kept him. But, you know, he's a performance guy. You know, it's all about if you perform, you get the applause, you know. And so he brought that into his religious experience and thought if he worked harder and performed better, God would love him more. And, and you know, how many men think that? And you're right. Uh, John 15, Jesus turns that on its head. He said, I don't want you to go do a bunch of stuff for me. I want you to walk close with me, remain in me, and, and then look and see what happens as right. a result of that. Yeah, and, you know, and the fruit, you know, you know, if you, you can, the fruit could be a lot of things. But, of course, we have some hints of what it might be in Scripture because he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all these characteristics of Christ. And if you try to go make those happen, I'm going to go be more loving. I'm going to be more joyful. You and I know that doesn't work. Right. by willpower. It doesn't work. But right. if you well, abide in him, it does. <laughs> well, we develop uh, plastic fruit. We can, we can manufacture fruit that actually sometimes looks better to the Christian facade than spiritual fruit. It's just inedible and is not nutritious. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wonderful. Well, and I, and I, I tend to think that if we try to go bear fruit for the Lord, we'll get what man can produce. We'll get what we can muster up in our flesh and it's not sustainable, and it you know it ends up guys get end up getting burned out. How many people do we see trying to serve the Lord at church, and then they find they have no joy, and they're burnt out, and then they just quit, you know? And guys fall off the wagon, fall into sin, and all sorts of stuff. So. Yeah, uh, Brian, I'd love some some of the backstory here, some of your personal backstory. So you were in two thousand. Uh, let me see, two thousand was it two thousand six when you first came to uh, Bentonville, or somewhere well, in the early two thousands. I was in Tulsa, and uh, and that's when I found out about influencers and yeah. about this journey process. I was a I was a guy in 1996 who went to one of the, I was one of a million men who went to Promise Keeper conferences that year. Right. Uh, yeah. That was when Promise Keepers was at its peak, you know, yeah. all over the country. And I went to Texas Stadium, and and before that, I was a casual Christian. I was just a guy who went to church because I thought I was supposed to. I was a believer in Christ, but I wouldn't say I was a follower of Christ. Uh-huh. And uh, that promise keeper event awakened my heart, awakened something in me. And I, I realized there was something more. So that started my real journey of trying to mm. figure out what this looks like. And so I started, uh, you know, getting more involved in my church. I joined an accountability group. Mm-hmm. Um, I started reading the word for the first time and I was just discovering all these things I never knew about. And the reason I didn't know about them was because no one ever discipled me. No one sure. ever came alongside me and showed me, you know, a lot of great people in my life, a lot of great churches, but no one came alongside me and took an interest in, in showing me the way. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm not unlike many men out yeah, there. Yeah, um, yeah. So I started uh, really growing in the word and I started uh, getting involved in using my gifts at church and planning retreats and more promise keeper trips and, and did it for many years, even, even started a citywide initiative called Tulsa Men of Christ and had a thousand men that I was just trying to network Christian men in the city. I wasn't trying to do, I wasn't, wasn't, I wasn't making any money out of it. I was just trying to connect people. And, uh, and as I met men all over the city, I started realizing something was missing Mm -hmm. and it, it was this, the events are great and they would get people fired up and awaken men, but they didn't sustain. It was always like, when's the next event? And so that's, uh, Mm. that's when I was searching for something and God set it up for me to meet Rocky and, and uh, led me to lead the first turning group in Tulsa. Yeah, isn't that so characteristic of uh, so m- much Christian experience, men and women, uh, f- fervent and genuine believers in Christ who are trying to live from meeting to meeting or event to event, rather than in relationship with Christ and with each other. Uh, talk to us about uh, your relationships these days, because I imagine that uh like Jesus himself, you have a circle of friends that you travel with. Uh, tell us about kind of that collective, collaborative uh, lifestyle. Well, you know, there's a there's an army of men out there now uh, called influencers, uh, and we have uh, guys that are on staff with us that uh, are in different cities, and there are there are regional directors, and and these are guys who are I'm I'm very close with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a board here that I'm close with. Um, but I, uh, when God moved us here three years ago, I just figured this was uh, 
an assignment. You know, I mean, I think we're all missionaries, really. And mm-hmm. this was my assignment, my mission field. So I've been meeting guys all over this area and uh, building some new, a new band of brothers, if you will, of guys mm-hmm. that, that I'm living life with. But, but we, it's I just love I love being around the journey guys because they get it. You know, we're mm-hmm. all we're not perfect, but we're striving to abide in Christ and striving to stay close to Him and. And we sharpen each other when we we work together and commune together. Um, but I'm always open to helping other men find what we have found. So I'm just I have to be careful that I'm not the journey salesman or the you know that I come on yeah. too strong because I get so excited and I, I then I have to remember you know God's got to woo people to Him and He's got to He's got to let them see something in you that makes them draws them in you know so uh, me, so yeah it's it's growing all the time. Tell me more about the the journey. Like what what do people encounter when they take this journey? Well, there's a little book that Rocky wrote called The Journey to the Inner Chamber, and it's an allegory that uh, draws men and women into this idea of what the spiritual looks like. If you could peel back the, the facade, back into the spiritual realm, what you would see going on is like this big battle and this big uh, castle, and it's, it shows God's kingdom from behind the veil. And it's, a, it's just a very creative story, and he did it just to show people help them see where they are in their walk. So we start out with that little book uh, with a little six week discussion guide of that book to help just get a group of guys or, or a group of people together, let them start assimilating and, and testing their heart and see where they're at. And then if, for those who are ready to go deeper, uh, we invite them to go on a nine month journey and it's, and it's a, uh, there's a curriculum, uh, there's a manual, there's a few extra books that we use. Uh, and then there's some retreats built in on every, on every third leg. There's a, a retreat built into it. Uh-huh. So it's, a, it's, so it's a slow, it's kind of a slow marinating process. Uh, it's, it, it's not a Bible study, even though we're going to be in the word, it's not an accountability group, though you'll build some accountability with other people. Um, it's a little bit mysterious, just like Jesus was. He's, he, he's given them a little bit more and then, and then bringing them along. And then, and, and then they start finding discoveries. We teach them how to journal. Journaling is a really big part of it. Good. Uh, and, and it's so it's slow and methodical. Um, and it takes guys deeper than usually they've ever been before. And so it's not for everybody, you know, it's mm-hmm. not everybody's ready for it. If you're just the guy wanting to sign up for the next Bible study, you probably won't you won't like it. It'll, it'll mm. take you, it'll get a little too intrusive, you know, into your heart. <laughs> but, but for those who are hungry, who are tired of playing church, who are tired of the, the shallow stuff and they're really ready, they know they want more of God, man, it will, uh, he'll, he'll give you as much as you want. You know, it's, it's really interesting. So at what point do you get the sacred underwear and the secret handshake? <laughs> uh, I can't tell you. I'd, I'd, have, to, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> so what are some keys for people who want to address this abiding in Christ uh, deal? Like where, where, where does someone start that's listening right now? Well, um, I think people need to be shown the way, you know, just like Jesus invited people in and he showed them the way, you know, before he died, he said, listen, I've been with you. Go do what I've been doing with you with other men. So people have to be shown the way. He gave us each other to help each other on this journey. Iron sharpens iron. Uh, carry one another's burdens. I mean, he, he, don't forsake your gathering. He meant for us to be together and help each other. So uh, I don't expect people to figure it out on their own, and that's why he gave us each other. He did give us the Holy Spirit. So uh, you can start by praying and saying, Holy Spirit, uh, do you have something for me? You know, Show me the way. But we would love to help people know that. I believe God gave Rocky this process and he wanted us to give it to other people. This is why I sold my business in Tulsa and moved over here is to help give this process and this message away to as many people as God wants to, to give it to. So there's tons of cities where we don't have journey groups and uh, we want to help people. You know, I mean that this is what I spend most of my time doing is, is uh, doing video conferences and traveling to new cities and helping people learn how to start these groups. And you don't have to be a, a pastor. You don't have to be a men's ministry leader. You don't have to have gone to seminary to lead a journey group. You just have to be a man or a woman who wants to grow in your intimate relationship with Christ. And you ask other people to go with you, just like Rocky did. And, That's uh, awesome. And the curriculum is very easy to follow uh, once you get started and all that. But it needs a, just need a little training up front. And uh, we just, we're happy to help people. Well, how do people connect with you and this curriculum and this journey? 
Well, uh, you can go to our website, which is influencers.org and you'll find a lot of videos and you'll find some podcasts that we've done and, and, you know, you can just browse around there and, and learn about the ministry a little bit more. Um, you can connect me personally. Uh, I'm B Craig, B C R A I G at influencers.org. And I'll be glad to help you. If we have a region near where you live, I'll connect you with the local guys there and you can get plugged right in. And but there's men's groups, there's women's groups, and there's also couples using the curriculum. Not to mention uh, it's being used in the prison system around the United States as well. Just a little note of that. You know, that was one of the most exciting things that I found on the website is that I imagine there was some modification that had to uh, be done in order to make uh, the program amenable to, uh, you know, the incarceration system. I know there's been some modification in Samson where Samson's gone behind the prison walls. But, uh, wow, to uh, to bring this to guys in prison at a point of crisis, that just sounds fantastic. Well, and, and let me just tell you real quick, the most the coolest thing about that in my mind is that it's not outside people like us going in to teach them a bunch of stuff. Maybe, yeah. initi- maybe initially with the first group it is, <laughs> yeah. but then guess what? After that, the inmates are leading or discipling other inmates. Yeah. So they're yeah. using the tool. They're the leaders. They're leading yeah. each other and we uh, don't have to be there to prop it up. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. That is just <laughs> awesome. And I love the fact that it's, it, it sounds like it's making the cultural leap into other countries. Uh, are the groups in, uh, Egypt and elsewhere, at this point, mostly among expats, or are, are these among nationals? In Egypt, we partnered with the U.S. church, which planted a church over there, and they don't call it a church. Mm-hmm. They call it a community. Um, okay. But but no, they're not expats. These are local. Uh, these are indigenous people that live there. These are Egyptians. And, wow. Uh, and the, the process was translated into Arabic, and so they're using it in their own language. Um, they're journaling in their own language and uh, hearing from God for the first time. Uh, and, uh, and we've, it's been translated into Spanish, uh, French, uh, Portuguese and Arabic fully. So fantastic. Mm. That is really exciting. Well, I'm so grateful that Mike made this connection and, uh, I, I'm just eager to see where this goes. Uh, yeah. cause obviously we're all journeying t- together here and, uh, it, it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, I think we can step back and kind of like Eisenhower planning the D-Day invasion where he's got all these different branches of the military, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, each boat may think it's on its own, but it's all part of this master plan. And uh, I'm grateful to meet other people who are in the invasion force. Amen. I agree. Totally. Yeah. And we're supporting each other. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brian. Uh, and I do hope that the listeners to the podcast who's, who have felt the tug of the Holy Spirit during this conversation, heard that quiet voice, uh, will move quickly, follow up, be obedient, and make a connection with Brian and with influencers. Thank you, Thanks, mate. brother. Uh, God bless you guys. Okay. And we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. <laughs> Captain Aaron Sparrow here. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, good conversation. I am very interested in checking out this, this journey uh, deal. Uh, I'm, that's cool. They're doing stuff in, in my county, so I should be able to get to those resources easily. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, and keep us updated. Keep us surprised on how that goes. Uh, this is what we're to be doing anyway. We're to be journeying together. That's what it is. We're on a, we're on a walk together. We are walking in the light as he is in the light, having fellowship one with another as the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness as somebody once said. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we've got, uh, we've got more guests coming up on 
upcoming episodes of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, so if you have not subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and do that so that you get it automatically. And uh, until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. Uh, oh, and by the way, our email address, if you yep. would like to you know, write, comment, question, whatever, it's piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until uh, then, I'm Nate. He's Aaron. We're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arg. Only fools rushing But I am here Falling in